Um, we are in a series called Proverbs. So guess what we're talking about? Um, we're going through, thank you, Caleb. We're going through my scholar. Uh, SOU 101 was definitely important for, for you. Um, we're going through all our different, all the different Proverbs. Um, we're taking each week to focus on a different proverb and, and learn from it. And tonight we're in Proverbs chapter 7. So go ahead and turn there or scroll there. Um, and if you haven't, we're actually going to try out a new little thing tonight. Hopefully, uh, Lord willing and David willing, the, the reference will be up on the screen. So should be good. We're excited. And if not, just smile and, oh, wow, so that I think it is because I can't see. And I don't want to get lost in my head. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 7. Um, and, and tonight we're going to be talking about and walking through one of if not the most important proverb for your generation. Um, Proverbs chapter 7 is a warning, so just kind of setting the scene. Proverbs chapter 7 is a warning from Solomon to his son, and he warns him through an example. He doesn't just warn him. He uses an example to do it. He uses a story, and it's a warning of the dangers that can destroy someone's heart when they give in to lust. And Solomon talks to his son, but this can just as easily be flipped to talk about daughters as well, women as well. Just flip the example, okay? Um, But this is not just important because of lust, okay? Uh, This proverb provides such a clear picture of why it is so important to love and be in love with Jesus all the time. To have Jesus in your heart wherever you go and no matter what you do. Because as we'll see, it'll follow you around. Um, But to the point of lust, so a lot of times when we think of lust, one of the things that's mentioned is pornography. Um, We no longer, this is no longer good enough. This is no longer relevant because we as a culture, we no longer just watch pornography. We live in what's called a pornographic culture. The way we dress, the way we talk, the shows we watch, the music we listen to, lust and sex has become a part of all of it. My generation was the exact same way, and your generation has made exactly zero improvement on that. And that's fine. Um, Porn is not the issue tonight. Porn is a symptom of the actual disease. And this disease is in the heart of every person that has not personally met Jesus Christ. So this is the first thing to understand. If you're not a Christian or you don't consider yourself a Christian, it's not that you're, you're neutral and then you become a Christian. If you're not a Christian, there is something going on in your heart that is wrong and broken. And this disease that's in the heart of every person, it's a disease that says... Yes, I would give in to these desires, just like this man does in Proverbs chapter 7. That's the issue with this. And we'll see as we get into it, but, but you'll notice, at the end of the Proverbs, Solomon doesn't say, and then he lost his family, or and then he went to jail, or he lost his ministry, or his life was a mess after that. To Solomon, he ends it when the man gives in to the desires, which shows that fellows, ladies, that's where it really ends. That's where the devastation and the heartbreak takes place when you give in to these desires. It's not the after effect that's so terrible because the the thing that happens in our mind is this is where pornography comes in because nobody knows about it. Your parents probably don't even know and you're sitting right here in church 
They don't know. It's not hurting anybody. See, there's no after effects, so it can't be that big of a deal. This is why Solomon doesn't give us any after effects at the end of this proverb. Because the giving in to the lust is the big deal. The surrender to this desire is the big deal. So we're going to take it piece by piece, a point at a time, and look through the text together. So we are in Proverbs chapter 7. So let's look at verses 1 and 2, and we'll take it piece by piece. And, and if we don't get through it all, then we might continue it next week. Um, but there's a lot of good stuff in here. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Okay, so here's why this is important. First of all, who is this to? The first, look at the first words. My son, Keep my words. Kirshner, so who is this actually written to? Not amazing. His son, right? This is why this is important. This means that this story is being told to the audience of Solomon's son, which means it's being told so that he can understand it. It's not this way up here thing that an adult gets, but children don't. It's being told to his son. So his son will be able to understand it, and it's about physical intimacy. So we know that the son has to be around a teenage age where this is prevalent. doesn't make sense to have this conversation with an 8-year-old or a 5-year-old, unless you just want to just completely wreck them, I think. And, and he's young enough to where they need to talk about this, but he obviously doesn't have a wife yet. You follow this? Now, we spoke about this a few weeks ago. The Bible is not, and Solomon is making this point, the Bible is not just for adults. It's not just for Misty and myself and Duty and Kristen and Sandra and Hannah. It's, it's not just for adults or pastors with degrees. It's for everyone. And Proverbs in particular is geared towards your generation, is geared towards the youth. Proverbs has 31 chapters. Chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 10, and 13 all begin with, My son... Listen to me, or something similar to that. They all begin with students as the audience. This book is designed for you. So Solomon's teaching is designed for you, especially in this chapter. Listen, the Bible is not written for you to start later. It's written for you to start now. Look at verses 2 through 3. Two and three. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Okay, apple of the eye. We'll get there in a second, but you know what that means pretty good. Uh, bind them on your fingers. Take my teaching and bind it to your fingers. What in the world is he talking about? Now remember, you can't America the Bible, okay? You can't America, you can't take what you know and put it in the Bible and say, well, as a 21st century American, this doesn't make any sense, so it's irrelevant. You have to read it from the perspective of an ancient Hebrew. Here's what this means. Writing this on your fingers. <clears throat> this is what's called tefillin. T-E-F-I-L-L-I-N. Tefillin. T-E-F-I-L-L-I-N. They're these small paper boxes these small paper containers filled with parchment in them or rolled up scrolls. And they would wrap around the fingers of Jewish men. And it was put on their hands every morning 
and they walked with them every day as a constant reminder. Whatever was in them, they could pull it out at any point. And it was a constant reminder to keep God's law. And you say, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Well, it's the exact same thing as putting a sticky note on your mirror or keeping a note on your phone or keeping something in your back pocket to carry around with you all day. Keeping it where you can see it and remember it all the time. It's called Teflon. But here's the other thing, and this is why this is so important. Why in the world would you put this on their hands? Put it on the back or on the shoulder or near the appendix, something that's not used, that nobody cares about. Why would you put it on their hands and on their fingers? These were ancient men. They didn't work in an office. They used their hands for everything, which is exactly why you would want to put it on their hands. One commentary says, Wear this teaching like rings on your fingers so that they may go with you wherever you take your hand. Follow this. Every time this guy had to use his hands for something, he saw this teaching. It surrounded him. It was with him all day. Every job, farming and picking grain, every trip to the market to exchange money, every single transaction with another person, he used his hands. He saw whatever, every time he used this, he saw whatever teaching was on his hands all the time. So Solomon saying, go back to the proverb, look at verse 3, bind them with your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Solomon saying, put this teaching about lust on your hands is his way of saying, you have to always be thinking about this. This teaching on avoiding lust is not one of those things that you can put in your quiet time or you can put in your classroom and then you walk out and forget about it. This is an issue that you need to carry with you all the time. My gosh, is that not exactly relevant for today? This teaching on avoiding lust can't just be with you in the student building. It can't just be with you on Sunday morning. Solomon is saying it needs to be on your hands when you get up in the morning. It needs to be with you. Now think about it, when they were home by themselves. It was with them. It needs to be with you when your boyfriend or your girlfriend, when you're hanging out. This teaching that I'm about to share with you, son, should be wrapped on your fingers. This teaching is designed to be with you always or it won't matter. If you were dating somebody... And everybody perks up. If you were dating somebody and they said this, if, they, if you, you start dating, they meet you at Chili's, obviously, where else would you go? And they say to you, okay, we're going to start dating. Um, we can hang out for one hour a day, starting now. And they keep their eye on the clock the whole time you hang out. And, it's, and you're hanging out, you're holding hands, because that's it, right? They're, you're holding hands, and they're like, and, okay, I'm going to go continue with my life now. See you later. That's ridiculous, right? How are you, how are you going to get to know them? And you say, I wanna, if, I, if I'm dating them, if I like them, I want to be with them all the time. Yeah, but that's exactly how we treat God and his teaching. We can't wait to be done. All right, quiet time is from 4 to 5. Here we go. When was the last time you were like that when you were binge-watching something on Netflix? Or when you were outside playing or when you were at a friend's house. Okay, I'm ready to go home now. No, you want to stay as long as you can. You want this to continue as long as you can. You can't wait to be done with your quiet time. 
so that I can go to the movies with my friends and watch this R-rated comedy that's going to undo everything that I just learned, if you even had quiet time at all. And just like that dating relationship is never going to work, because you're just putting it in piece by piece at a time, you're not taking it, this relationship with you everywhere, just like that's not going to work, Solomon, by saying, put this on your fingers, is saying, my teaching of you, avoiding lust, fighting lust, is never going to work if you only think about it when you have your church hat on. It's not going to work if you keep thinking, okay, I'm, listening, I'm learning about this for just a little bit, now I'm going to go continue with my life. Putting this on your fingers is Solomon's way of saying, this has to be your life. Lust is everywhere, and you know this. Uh, I meet a lot of students who have either, maybe they've messed up big time, or they're consumed with doubt about their salvation. And the first thing I ask them is, how's your Bible reading going? How's your quiet time? And the answer is always, it's either minimal or non-existent. Of course you're doubting your salvation. I'd be doubting it too. That may be healthy to doubt your salvation. Of course you would love the world more than God if you're not spending any time with God. Follow this. Your life will not change when you walk the aisle during an invitation or go to passion conference, or cry at beach camp. Your life will change, and that's Solomon's point. Take this with you. This one lesson is not going to be enough. Your life will change when you take God's Word and you wrap it around your fingers and take it with you everywhere you go. When you let it fill you up during and after your quiet time. Bind these things on your fingers. Back in verse 2, Proverbs chapter 7, verse 2, it says, let my teaching be the apple of your eye. This word for apple, it's the same thing. It means pupil. Again, your pupil affects everything you see. It's everywhere you go. Solomon is saying, my teaching needs to be like a contact lens. It needs to filter everything you see. When you're at school, when you're at parties, when you're at Bible study, when you're at summer camp, when you're on cross-country trips or band trips, theater shows, my teaching needs to be in the pupil of your eye. This has to go with you everywhere or it will not work. One super awkward, awful talk about sex with your parents when you're 11 is not going to impact you when you're 15 in the basement with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Do you follow this? This has to be carried with you or it will not work. All right, now that we've beat that to death, Proverbs 7, 4 through 5. Proverbs 7, 4 through 5. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And say to understanding, you are my intimate, ooh, there's a word, you are my intimate friend. That they may keep you from the adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with words. Let me read verse 4 again. Now, hear me, church kids. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. Say to wisdom, or understanding, you are my intimate friend, that they may keep you from the adulteress. Pay close attention to what's going on here. In Hebrew, he says sister, and he says intimate friend. Kind of weird. In Hebrew culture, but even in, in American culture today, before you're married, chances are that your sister is the woman you're probably the closest to, or maybe your mom. Look at how it's already 
talking about, we're four verses in, it's already talking about wisdom as a deep female connection. In a proverb, that's about illicit actions with a female. It calls wisdom a sister, and then it says your intimate friend. Ooh, that's fun. It's using marriage language to talk about wisdom in a proverb that's about sex. It's using intimacy for wisdom in a proverb that's about physical intimacy with another person. And this is the the point that Solomon's making here. Look at verse 5 again. Do these things so that it will keep you from the adulteress. So this intimate wisdom, this intimate knowledge of wisdom keeps you from being intimate with an adulteress. Solomon is not using kids' ministry, no no disrespect, Parker. Solomon is not using kids' ministry words to describe wisdom. He doesn't say, memorize this. Look at the board. Pay attention to this. Learn this. He's using love language to describe God's wisdom. Intimate, close, dear friend. Why? Because Solomon knows that the only way to stop wrong intimacy is if you're already intimate with the right things. The only way to stop wrong intimacy, like adultery, is if your heart's already filled intimately with the right things. He knows that dry memorization is not going to help anybody. Let's use, a, let's use an example. The thrilling world of church Sunday school. Getting your name checked off on Sunday morning at 8.30 in the morning, or 9.30, sorry, I should know that, I work here. Uh, anyway, getting it checked off that early, that's not going to... Just the name getting checked, that's not going to help you. If you don't enjoy slash love Sunday school, you'll skip it. Or you'll stay out late Saturday night because who cares? It's just Sunday school. But if you love Sunday school, if you enjoy Sunday school and are excited to be there Sunday morning, it will affect what you do on Saturday night. It will make you say, no, I need to go home because I don't want to miss this. You see how your love of something keeps you occupied when something else tempts you? Your intimacy with this keeps you from your intimacy of something else? That's Solomon's point. And no, the point is not Sunday school, so don't like, ooh, he's talking to me. I don't check the role. You're fine. Um, I hope you go, but that's up to you. But again, you see Solomon's point. Intimacy with wisdom will protect you from intimacy with the adulteress. Intimacy with God will protect you from intimacy with something that you shouldn't be intimate with. That's why Solomon uses intimacy language with wisdom because he knows that adultery or lust is not rooted in anything except for your heart. Lust is about what you love. There may not be love in lust, but lust is about what you love. If you love God, if you are intimate and close to His wisdom, His joy in you as His child, you'll work to stay out of lust. And if you don't love God, you'll be like this guy. Verses 6 through 9. 6 through 9 of Proverbs chapter 7. Now, so, so you see in my Bible, there's kind of a break, like a paragraph break here. And now he's getting into the actual story. Okay? For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive, that's the, the, the childish, 
and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house in the twilight and the evening, in the middle of the night and in darkness. So there's several things here. First of all, this weird, what is a lattice? What is happening? Verse 6, For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice. Notice, this guy, this fool, he's walking the street trying to find this girl. Where is Solomon? Solomon is up. He's, first of all, he's up. He's out of the street. And a lattice is kind of that thing that kind of crisscrosses. Flowers hang down from it. Guys will climb it in like, in like movies and stuff to talk to girls or whatever. I don't know. It, that's a lattice, okay, the thing that holds up the flowers. So Solomon is not only off the street, he's peeking through the lattice to see what's happening. Real men know when to hide. That's a biblical teaching. Real men don't stand up and say, I can handle it. Well, you're a fool. And you'll end up like this guy. Notice that the guy on the street is described as lacking sense. Solomon knows his temptations. He knows where he's vulnerable, and he's avoiding that. He's staying out of that. Don't just trust in the never-ending, reckless love of God to keep you out of stuff. How does it keep you out of stuff? It moves you, look at me, it moves you into the house, upstairs, out of harm's way. It's not this cloud that picks you up and carries you. It works itself out in your heart. It moves you out of that situation. One of the ways you can tell if you're a Christian or not is how do you act in these situations? Do you continually fall into it over and over and over again? You don't have to be perfect. I'm not saying that. But which is the continual pattern? Are you continually falling into this or are you continually trying to get out of there? Real men, intelligent women, know when to hide. They know when it's too much and they need to get out. Verse 7, again, the naive among the youths. This is for you guys. Proverbs is for you guys. He specifically says, he's a youth. This, this is a student. This isn't some 35-year-old guy. This is a young man, or it can be a young woman, either one, how you want to do it, hanging out on a Friday night with their friends. He's looking out. He sees this. Verse 8 passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in darkness. So verse 8, one more time. Passing through the street near her corner, he takes the way to her house. He's going there. The street doesn't pick him up and drag him into it. He's doing this of his own free will. Here's the issue, and I know you guys are young, but you listen to sermons, and you get on YouTube, and and you go to church, and I need you to be able to think with this. So many sermons end with or are focused on, here are nine ways to be sure you don't do X, Y, Z. Well, the problem with those nine ways is that that's not what's causing you to do it. You cause you to do it. Here's, it should be titled, here are nine things that you're going to work out eventually so that you can keep doing what you like to do. Deep in your own heart, you know that you could be stranded on an island by yourself and still wrestle with lust or gossip or gluttony or materialism. Because you're there. You're what's called sinful. Which means apart from God's grace, with God's grace not working in your life, you will continue to fall into this pattern again and again and be overwhelmed by your sinful heart, you will continue to walk this street looking for her. 
or him or it or whatever. And what's worse is you'll continue not to care. The, the worst place to be is not lost in sin. The worst place to be is lost in sin and you don't even care that you're lost in sin anymore. That's why it's called dead. That's why it's called drowning. This guy went down to where this person lived. He knew exactly what he was doing. Verse 9, it talks about twilight, not the book series, thank the Lord, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in darkness. Listen, he, he goes at night. He knows that, that this is wrong, or else he wouldn't do it in secret. Does that make sense? You have to stop saying, here's the first way to help this. You can't keep saying that you struggle with wanting to fit in, or you struggle with lust, or you struggle with gossip. If I got arrested, I wouldn't say, I'm not a thief, I just struggle with stealing. Right? No, you stole it, bro. You're guilty. You know what you're doing. That's the first step in beginning to get better, is to stop saying that you struggle with it and say that you're lost in it. It's the first step to being found. Verses 10 through 12. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot, cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets and in the squares and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. 10 through 12. In verse 10, again, and behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. This girl is super attractive. She wants him real bad. This is, and the fantasies begin to play through in everybody's minds, and, and the playbook just starts rolling. It's this awesome, this is what everybody in the world wants. Look at how Solomon describes her, though. Verse 10, it calls her cunning. Some of your versions say crafty or sly or wily, whatever that means. I, think, I guess it means the same as the rest of them. This is the same word used to describe Satan in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It's the exact same Hebrew word. Now, the serpent was more crafty than all the other animals in the garden. It's the exact same word. Verse 12, she is now in the streets and in the squares and lurks over every corner. She lurks. This means to lie in wait. And it's not the same Hebrew, but, it, but as soon as I read it, it tipped me off of, you remember Cain and Abel? Cain kills Abel. Spoiler alert, you should have read it already, though. This is strangely close to Genesis 4-7. When God tells Cain that sin, you remember this? He tells Cain that sin is crouching at the door, waiting for him. This is, it's just lurking. It's the same pattern. She is a beautiful, lust-filled woman. She is a tone-ripped, pretty smile, good-looking. He is a good-looking guy. And he desires you. She desires you. This is your dream if you're a guy in the world. This is your dream if you're a girl in the world. And yet, look at these words that Solomon has used to describe this person. This crafty like the devil, lurking like sin. Here's why this is so important. Do you see what an incredible effect God's word has on our hearts? I don't... What do you see when you look at the world? The world looks at this woman or this man and sees a woman that so many girls want to be and that every guy wants to be with. 
the pinnacle of, of the world. This girl would be an Instagram model. She would be in the next music video. If you guys even do music videos anymore, I don't know. The world looks at this girl and sees a woman who is going straight to the top in American culture. She would be popular at your school. She would get a great job. This is the top. This is the pinnacle of what so many women, so many girls like you want to be. And so many men want to be. Good looking, popular, awesome. You watch YouTube videos fantasizing about being this woman. Fantasizing about being with this woman. Every time you buy new clothes or, or if you, maybe when you buy a new bathing suit. In the back of your mind, at the bottom of your soul you start to think, I'm one step closer to becoming this woman. Every time a guy does something cool or thinks highly of himself, he thinks, I'm one step closer to being this guy. This man sees his deepest fantasy of joy. Solomon sees a terrifying creature that wants to drag him to hell. Nobody looks at the pit of hell and says, oh yeah. Nobody does that. Girls aren't watching YouTube videos and Instagram videos about the pit of hell envisioning how they can be like that. Guys don't pull out their phones in their bed at night and try to find videos of the pit of hell. Look at how the Bible changes the way you see things. Look at how Solomon, who keeps this teaching on his fingers, sees this woman. Look at how the Bible, it changes your vision. Remember what Solomon first said. Intimacy with wisdom is how you defeat intimacy with lust. When you fill yourself with love for the wisdom of the Bible, when you fill yourself with true intimacy with God, when God's Word fills your heart, you, it doesn't just make you happy or you sing a lot more or whatever. You see things differently. You'll see people who are like this woman or like this man. You'll see people like this the way Solomon did instead of how the world sees it as I can't wait to get this. Now, of course, it's an uphill battle. You don't turn into a robot. It's not like you look at something pretty and you're like, no, God's word. Well, okay, you're wired for vision. You're wired for feeling. But you see it in a way that you see the dangers that could come from it. And it's still a work to turn from that. But seeing it differently is the key to beginning that turn. Ladies, you won't secretly or not so secretly want to be this person anymore. Fellas, you won't want to be with this person anymore. The Bible can take your desire. Let's use, forget lust. The Bible can take your desire to fit in this desire to be accepted, to be wanted, to be popular, and it, that it just consumes you. And it can take your heart and rework it so that you see that desire for what it really is. It's a desire to leave God for your friends. Everybody gets I do. I'm a youth pastor. Everybody gets up and says, how can I be cool today? How can I be accepted today? How can I fit in today? Nobody gets up in the morning and says, how can I leave God and abandon my Savior today? But when your vision is changed, instead of seeing it as you're one step closer to being cool, you'll start to see it as you're one step further away from God. 
The sinful heart doesn't see that, doesn't feel that, doesn't want that. The Bible has to change what your heart wants, what your heart sees. How does it do this? Go back to verse 1. Solomon tells us right at the beginning, My son or daughter, keep my words. Treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Verses 4 and 5. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and understanding, you are my intimate friend, and they will keep you from the adulteress. So, look back again at verses 1 and 2. Keep my words, treasure my commandments, keep my commandments and live. Something incredible happens when you expose the Bible to your life. It's not just a book. Something, and I'm not trying to be whatever misty voodoo weirdo guy. This happens. This happens to people. Through learning this teaching, through listening to this teaching, and walking this teaching out in obedience, a divine miracle takes place. You all of a sudden get new eyes, a new heart. Imagine this, those of you who are lost in pornography. You who, who being cool is like breathing. You have to have, you have to be accepted. All of a sudden, when you get a new heart, you look at things you used to crave and you used to run to them. And now, all of a sudden, you don't want them anymore. I didn't say you don't do them. I said you don't want them. It's even deeper. How can that be? I can't imagine not wanting to fit in. I can't imagine not lusting. Of course you can't imagine it. It's a miracle. The Holy Spirit saves you. That's why it's called that. But that won't happen until you work with the Bible to change your heart and the Holy Spirit takes action. And it won't happen as long as you spend 30 minutes in the Bible and the rest of your day doing things that are totally opposite to what the Bible teaches. This is why your parents are huge. And why parents who don't value this, they will be held accountable one day. And it will be awful. You have to, be, you have to wear this on your fingers. It has to be around you all the time. And through the Holy Spirit, you begin to want to do these things all the time. To lean into these things. I hope that male or female, you guys would see lust the way Solomon sees it. In Proverbs chapter 7, as a crouching sin waiting to, be attack, waiting to attack you. Not as a pleasure that's waiting to be fulfilled. Let's pray together.